Ken uh, Shigematsu tells the story recounted by James Smith, who is the author of The Good and Beautiful Life, of an architect named Craig. And Craig, uh, in his particular work, he travels a lot. And one particular day, Craig is traveling home with his business partner from Germany, and they have a, a, a brief layover in Atlanta, Georgia. And they're passing through the airport in Atlanta when they heard an announcement in the concourse that their flight had been delayed several hours. And several hours pass, and then several more, and then they heard the announcement that their flight had been canceled. At this point, people in their part of the airport, they're getting angrier, tempers are kind of flaring, Uh, they're realizing that they wouldn't get home that night, and so you've got this crowd of people all lined up to deal with this, and, and Craig and his partner noticed that person after person was kind of dumping their frustration and anger on the the poor woman behind the counter. Not a great day to be in customer service. But when Craig reached the the front of the line, he smiled at the young woman behind the counter, and he said, I'm not going to be mean to you. (laughs) And it's like she took a sigh of relief, and her face softened, and she smiled, and she said, thank you. And a little later, as Craig and his business partner were were walking down the concourse, Craig's partner turned to him and said, I've known you a long time. And if if this had happened to you a year ago, you would have been furious. And you would have lit into that lady. You would have lost it. I mean, and and Craig says something like this. I know that's true. You know know what? I've changed. You know, I, I know who I am. I know I'm God's. I know his spirit lives in me. Um, I know he's in charge. I know he cares about me. And, and so I, I, I know, you know, uh, that this is a difficult situation and I'm frustrated, but I'm still at peace. We'll get home tomorrow. And I mean, getting angry won't solve anything here. I figured we might as, kind of, might as well kind of enjoy this turn of events. And Craig's business partner just kind of shook his head and looked at him and said, I don't know what you've been smoking. <laughs> Something like that. But you've changed. And what had happened as was Craig had changed because in the last year, Craig had been in, engaged in a series of, of spiritual training exercises in his church small group. Here's the thing. When we are engaged in spiritual training, we can change. We truly can. Now, you and I know that if we're in, engaged in physical exercises, we'll, we'll change, we'll become healthier, we'll become stronger in fact, as I was thinking about this this week, um, I was thinking of some of the scenes from the film Rocky, that classic film. I watched it with our family again, uh, wanting to expose them to some of the great films of the past. How many remember the first Rocky film? What are we up to now? Like Rocky 18? Rocky in the geriatric ward having a, you know. Way, way back in the very first film, remember the story? Robbie, Rocky Balboa, the Italian stallion, is a boxer in Philadelphia. He's struggling to, to make it. And then when heavyweight champion Apollo Creed comes to Philadelphia, his managers want to set up an exhibition match between Creed and, and a struggling boxer, you know, touting the fight as, as a chance for a nobody to become a somebody. The match is supposed to be easily won by the obviously superior Creed, but no one tells Rocky this, who sees this as his kind of one and only shot at the big time. And, and, and the story is one of, really, of Rocky preparing and getting ready for this big match, this big fight. So, our, so for our classic movie moment this morning, let's watch a scene of Rocky training for the fight. Let's, uh, let's watch it. 
Wasn't that awesome? Um, <laughs> and, and, and some of you want to get the soundtrack so you can work out to that. Getting strong now. It's about as cheesy a soundtrack as you could possibly get. But one of the earlier scenes, you know, this is one of these cases where I'd love to show you the whole movie because there's lots of sort of lessons from this film. But earlier in the film, you see see Rocky running up the same set of stairs, and he can he barely makes it. In fact, they don't have any music playing at all, and he gets to the the top, and he's holding his chest, and he walks down, and, and it's this dreary Philadelphia morning, and it's just kind of sad. But at the end of the film, after a couple months of training. Rocky's fit, and he's ready. He can run up those stairs. And, and instead of huffing and puffing at the top, he's dancing and, and cheering, and he's ready for the, the, the big time in the ring. It's a really pretty profound story. And we all know that physical exercise makes us stronger and healthier, but exercise, spiritual exercise, that is, changes us from the inside out. And as we've said, we're beginning a new series today on how we can experience the presence of God in every area of our lives. And we're drawing themes from the book, God of My Everything, by Pastor Ken Shigematsu. We're indebted to him even for the input that he has to this series. But as I said last week, he's going to join us on October 5th. He's going to be here in person on Sunday, the 5th. But this morning, we're going to look at how spiritual exercise changes us. If you have your Bibles, uh, and we have loaner Bibles at the back, turn to 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. 1 Timothy 4, 7. The Apostle Paul says this to his young friend Timothy. Train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Let's pray. Father, again, we just, uh, as we consider what it means to have God in our everything, uh, we pray you would lead us today and you would speak to each of us, open our eyes to your truth and enable us to become more like your son, Jesus. We ask that you you'd just, uh, again, focus us in here in this time, we pray today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul says in this text, train yourself to be godly. The, the word train comes from the Greek word gymnazo, and, and it's the word from which we get gymnasium. Uh, Paul in this text is suggesting that our spiritual exercises in some ways are like kind of working out in a gym. You know, it, they'll make us spiritually stronger. And, and Paul goes on to say, he says that physical training is of some value, but godliness, that's training to be like Jesus, has value for all things, uh, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So the, the Apostle Paul recognizes that physical training has value. It's, it's a good thing. Uh, he understands that. Dr. James Prashaka, he's a, a researcher in the United States uh, at University of Rhode Island, He makes the point that physical exercise is what you might call one of those keystone habits that kind of triggers all kinds of other good things in your life. Um, For instance, uh, research shows that for many people, uh, that physical exercise helps them make more healthy food choices, or it helps them be more productive or focused in their work. It leads people who who are physically fit to to be less stressed and, and to be more relaxed. Sounds kind of crazy, but, but people who exercise regularly tend to use their credit cards less often. Who figured? I think they're just too tired to shop. That's my suggestion. 
So physical exercise has, has a lot of benefits, but, but Paul's saying that training spiritually to become like Jesus, to become godly, has great value both in this life and also in the life to come. So what is the, the value of godliness, uh, training for godliness in this life? We talked about a guy, this guy getting stuck at the airport on his way home. You know, he, he arrives there and, and he's delayed hours and then the flight's canceled. He's delayed a night probably. He's going to spend the night there. Anyone ever been through that kind of experience? Incredibly frustrating. My wife uh, once was on our, her way to join up with our family, the rest of our family in, in Thailand, and her, because of a storm, her flight got, to, she got delayed a night in Tokyo. An extremely frustrating experience. But imagine going through something so frustrating and yet experiencing a sense of peace and even an undercurrent of joy because you've been training to grow closer to Jesus. That's of great value. It's great value to be able to handle kind of difficult circumstances with grace. That's why the Apostle Paul later in 1 Timothy said, but godliness with contentment is great gain. In other words, the more godlike you become, the, the more content you are, the more you're able to, whether you have a lot or a little materially and, and financially, you're at peace because of this friendship that you have with God. And there are, there are tens of, tons of really potential uh, examples of how godliness benefits us in this life. I, I think of the help this can be in fighting temptation. I've got a friend who this year has been working to overcome uh, a habit that he had in terms of looking at pornography. And, and so this last, last year, he's been actually employing some very specific practices, spiritual practices, to make him stronger in this particular area. And he's been finding that... that more and more as he's been walking that out, he's been able to resist temptation and not give in to the, the pull of that. And, and in, any sen- in many senses, for, for many of us, when it comes to temptation, um, it, it leads us to do things we wouldn't want to really do anyway. It, it really causes us to corrupt our, our own choices and values. This, this friend found that he was free. And, and so godliness, training for godliness can lead us to be the kind of people we really want to be. That's one of the benefits. That's something of immense value. Paul says training for godliness has great value for all things in this life, but then he goes on to say that it also has value for the things to come. How so? Well, well, if God has come into your life and he is slowly changing you and, and you're sensing this new growing desire to become like Jesus, to be like him, then, then actually that very desire, that very thing is a sign, uh, according to, to Paul in Ephesians, that God has deposited his Holy Spirit in you, which is kind of a, a down payment guaranteeing you will enjoy friendship with God in the world to come. I mean, that's something you can't put a price tag on. So, so if you're moving towards godliness, actually with the help of God, it means you have the, the gift of eternal life, which benefits you, benefits you not only in this life, but also in the life to come. And secondly, this is kind of maybe more, a little more challenging to, to get. I'll see if I can explain it. Scripture teaches that there will be continuity between who you are and, and, and who you're becoming and who you will be in the world to come. I, I mean, who you are now and who you are becoming are going to have an impact on, on who you'll be in the world to come. Dr. Gordon Smith, a uh, respected theologian, uh, visited here a couple of years ago, did a seminar here at Hillside. But he makes this point. He says, if you don't enjoy God right now in this life, what makes you think you'd enjoy life with God in the, in the hereafter? 
I mean, and so if with God's help you can cultivate an enjoyable friendship with God in the here and now, you're going to enjoy the world to come with him a whole lot more. That's a, that's a really cool thing. Who you're becoming in this life with God's help will have all kinds of long-range benefits in the life to come. So the Apostle Paul says that, that spiritual exercises that shape you to be more like Jesus have, have value in the things in this life right now, but also for the life to come. It's, it really leads us to the question this morning, just how do we actually move toward becoming a person who trains to become like Jesus, to trains to become like God? Well, actually, the first step, if you haven't already done so, is to offer your life to God, to begin a relationship with Jesus, to invite him into your life and allow him to invite you into his life. I mean, inviting him to, to forgive all your wrong and your brokenness, what the Bible calls your sin, and to accept him as your leader and your, your guide and to invite him to give you a brand new start. The, the scripture actually calls us being born again, born a second time into the things of God. When you do that, when, when you actually believe Christ, when you, when you kind of put your weight on him and when you say, I'm going to trust him, I'm going to receive him into my life, uh, scripture says you become a child of God. That's what it says. And then after you start that journey, you pray, Holy Spirit, come and fill me with yourself. And as that happens, we'll be on the road to becoming more like Jesus. I mean, Paul in, in 2 Timothy 1, 7 says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but one of power and of love and of self-discipline or self-control. So even if you don't see yourself as being a very disciplined person, if you have the spirit of God within you, you have been given the spirit of discipline. That's kind of cool. I, I don't consider myself to be a very, a very disciplined, oriented person. So this, this gives hope for me. That, that if you give your life to Jesus, you're filled with his spirit. You're going to have the spirit of discipline. You're going to have a desire to actually train to be like Jesus. It'll fit, that is, with who God uniquely made you to be, your, your personality and temperament. But that desire is going to be there. Another question, so do we play a role in our transformation? For sure. As I said to our graduating students in June, never underestimate the power of a choice that God has given you. You have a choice. You can decide. That's one of the great things. We have free will. And why else would Paul tell us to do things? Like as in train yourself to be godly. You have a part in it. I mean, the Apostle Paul, or Peter, I should say, says, make every effort to add to your faith. Qualities like godliness and, and, and love. So we do play a role, but we've got to remember there's kind of a tension on here. The primary player is still God. It's, <laughs> this is, there's this great verse in Philippians 2 that I think in, the very, in one verse it kind of contains this tension that we experience as followers of Jesus. You know, whose job is it? It says, it says here in, in Philippians 2, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. You're to do something. But then it says, for it is God who it is work in you, both to will and, and to work for his good pleasure. So we're to work it out, but Paul's saying God is at work in you, changing your desires. God's causing you to want to live in a way that will give him pleasure and that'll, that'll do you good. So go with it. Walk in the Spirit. Respond to God. Go in the ways that God is calling you to go. Go in the flow of the Spirit, and you'll become more like Jesus. 
You're a partner. You're a participant with Him. You're in training. But God is the one who's the one giving you the the desire and also ultimately the power. I want to suggest, uh, we did this last week kind of spontaneously. Uh, This week I want to do it more strategically. Let's, would you bow your heads with me in the middle of this sermon? And let's pray this morning. Why don't we continue and just pray with me in your heart. If you have this morning never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you're not sure that your sins are forgiven, why not just pray in your heart right now, Jesus, I don't understand it all, but I offer my life to you. Please forgive me. Please give me a brand new start. And he'll do that. And if you just prayed that prayer, or if you've prayed it before, why not also pray, Holy Spirit, come and fill me with yourself. Fill me with you, Holy Spirit. Amen. So that really is the starting point for becoming more like Jesus. It's actually connecting with him and and, and walking out that journey with him and, and learning what it means to be filled with his spirit, being indwelt by him. But then we're called the train. We're called the train. So what does it look like to actually train to be like Jesus? I hope it doesn't mean one-armed push-ups like uh, Rocky was doing there, because I might as well give up now. But let me give you a couple of thoughts here to start. The, the purpose of spiritual exercises is not to actually get good at the spiritual exercises. The point of it all is to, to experience more of God's life in our actual lives and situations. Let me explain in the world of football. This is a, a world I'm getting to know a little bit more because my son show you a picture on the screen here. That's Noah, who I now call Giant Boy. He's becoming a man. And we spent our Saturday night last night watching him play football out on, the, out on uh, Town Center Square and uh, watching him learn. He's, uh, it's pretty intense sport at this level. He's only 14, but their, their coaches are driving him hard. They're, they're, they're training three, three times a week for this one game, and it's like six, seven, eight hours of training along with all kinds of regimen that they're encouraged, you know, you're not, not to eat, drink milk products or eat cheese before a game, all these kind of things. All for like a, what is, what's supposed to be a 60-minute game. Um, it's, it's quite something. But, but think for a moment, you're a football player, and you're wanting to get better. You're in the gym, and you're, you're doing weights, and you're doing sit-ups, and you're doing squats. You know, the whole point of you doing sit-ups and squats is not so that you'd get really good at sit-ups and squats, is it? What is the point of those exercises? So that when you're in the game, you'd be able to handle a a block or a tackle. You'd be able to withstand that, right? Why does Rocky spend so much time running? Because running really isn't something you do in the boxing ring. It's so he would get this stamina, this physical fitness, so that when he's in the ring, he'll be able to, to see it right through to the very last round. That's the way it is with spiritual exercises. We don't pray so that we would become awesome, eloquent prayers, so that we'd have a prayer voice that would sound really cool. We don't read the Bible so that we'd become amazing Bible scholars uh, and so that we would impress our friends when we play Bible trivia. We pray and we read Scripture so that in real-life situations, we can do what? We can experience God's life more. 
more of God's life. It, it's important to understand that distinction. We don't fast to get good at fasting. We fast to experience more of God's life. Secondly, like a smart athlete, we need to consider not only where we're naturally strong, but we also need to think about where we tend to be weak. Take Michael Jordan for an example. Um, he was considered to be, he is considered to be one of the best basketball players of all time, and perhaps the greatest basketball player in his generation. But when Michael was growing up, he wasn't considered the best athlete in his family. His brother Larry was considered to be the best athlete in their family. And when Michael, in fact, was in grade 10 in high school, he was cut from his basketball team. Can you imagine? This is Michael Jordan we're talking about. was cut from his high school basketball team because he wasn't considered fit or ready to play or good enough to play. But this failure actually gave him a strong motivation to, and desire to practice and to improve the weaker parts of his game. And so Michael Jordan, when he actually went to college, his coach, Dean Smith, pointed out that when other players were, were involved in pickup games of basketball, they would tend to focus on the areas of their game where they happened to be strong and avoid the areas of their game where they, they tended to be weak. Whereas Michael, even when the coaches weren't watching, and this was just pickup basketball, he would often force himself to work on those areas of his game where he tended to be weak. And gradually over time, he grew in those areas and he, he, he became stronger and, and grew a more wholesome game, if you want to call it that. And if you're a musician, say you're a pianist, you, you know, in order to become a more complete pianist, you've got to work on those parts of your repertoire that you're naturally good at, but you also need to practice in areas where you're, you're weaker so that you become a more whole musician. It's like that in our spiritual lives. We, when we think about spiritual exercises, we, we do well to think about what would actually enable us to experience more of God in our real-life situations, but then also to pay attention not only to our strengths, but also to those areas of our weakness. In fact, this has been very informative for me in my practice of spiritual disciplines, of spiritual practices. In my own case, one of the most important spiritual exercises for me has been the practice of Sabbath. I do that because not only because God commands the practice of Sabbath in Scripture one day off in seven, one day to honor Him, but, but I also do it because even though some people think, I have a neighbor who thinks I only work a couple hours a week here on Sunday mornings. This is Derwin working. The rest of the week I have to, you know, be at my leisure. The reality is I know that there is in me a tendency towards overdoing it, pushing it too hard, working longer hours, um, I have this, a couple of little voices in my life. One is the Holy Spirit. One is my wife. I put you on an equal plane there, darling. I mean, I think that's really God, my wife. And, uh, but I've recognized my tendencies over the years to just be a little driven. And, it, and in my particular role, in my leadership role, it seems like there's always boxes at the end of my week that didn't get checked off. You know, if you're a lister, you know, a to-do lister, you, you, ever, you know how frustrating that is not to be able to cross them off? And some of them get carried over week after week after week after week. I think they should be permanently off my list. That's my thought. And so for me, um, honoring Sabbath is a reminder one day in seven as I'm walking through my Sabbath day that today I'm not in charge. My primary role is not a leader in this congregation. I remember on those days that my primary role today is I'm a child of God. What does that mean for me? 
means that I have a father who can take care of everything, even the things I didn't get done. Honoring Sabbath, practicing Sabbath for me is is a good thing to do for me. It's a gift for me, but it's specifically a gift because of my tendency to want to overdo it and to my, my drivenness. It's particularly good for me. Another example for me is, is uh, um, I don't know if you've done the Myers-Briggs. Some of us have done that together, but I'm an ENFP. And as an ENFP, we're kind of like, like the most out there personality. We tend to be the class clown. We tend to be easily distracted I tend to like people, and so uh, one of the highlights of my week is when I go over to my local coffee shop and, and meet new people and make new friends. That's my idea of a good time. But I also can be distracted by people, and I can be distracted just by, like about, by anything. You know, the whole squirrel kind of <laughs> deal, right? That's kind of my life, a little bit. And so while connecting at a coffee shop with friends might be a strength for me, I also find I can be distracted by that or anything. And so I find that a spiritual exercise for me is that I need to plan time for solitude. Time by myself. Time alone. I found this to be true over decades of working with people that I'm actually much better with people when I actually take time apart by myself in silence and solitude and prayer and reflection. When I actually pull apart for a while... I'm actually better at the coffee shop. If I could be better at the coffee shop, I'm really good. <laughs> so Sabbath and, and solitude, that, that helped me in my weakness and also trained me to be a little bit more like Jesus. I'm just thinking of my coffee friends who would have heard that and they would just be laughing their head off. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Derwin good at coffee. Now, as I mentioned during this uh, series, we're going to be looking at various practices from this book, God of My Everything. In the book, there's this model that lists various types of practices, and, and it describes them. Uh, and we're going to be looking at different ones. It's going to be good. I, I, I think there's going to be exercises that will apply to all of us. Sabbath, we'll look at that next Sunday. Prayer, spiritual friendship, channeling our, our sexuality, play, care for our bodies, uh, money, and work. And Ken Shigematsu describes or talks about this set of spiritual practices that we choose. They make up what you might call a trellis. A trellis being something that supports our life with God. A trellis that that everything else kind of hangs on. Um, We planted hydrangeas this spring in our new garden, and and they grew fantastic. Take a a look at the screen. Big. the, The blossoms are about that big. But I got to tell you, when we first, when they first planted them, what's that? The fish I caught was this big, and you be quiet. I love Scott. This big. Can you say this big? They're not that big. They're this big. They're really big. Everybody come over to my house afterwards and we'll have this out. But, but the, the, the funny thing is, is they grew quite quickly. My wife with her miracle grow, she was like praying over them and, and, and fertilizing them like crazy. They grew quite quickly and they did an, a, a strange thing quite, quite soon after. And this might be a good image for the spiritual life is that they grew kind of top heavy and they fell over. In fact, some of the branches, the early branches just broke. And so we went to the garden store and we had to get these sticks 
And we planted in each of our hydrangea bushes sticks. And we actually took a little string and we tied up so that they could grow tall and strong. And, and the sticks, are kind of, they kind of meld right in there, but they're there holding up this growth. They're helping these plants continue to get the sunlight, and they're able to see that. And that's something that if you want to think about in terms of these spiritual exercises. They're helping to support our life and our friendship with God. They're helping to, to, to keep that as the central and, and foremost thing. So we want to do that. Now, now I need to wrap this up with some final thoughts. As, as we begin about thinking about a set of practices for this coming year, think about your actual life situation and think about what would enable you to experience more of God in your actual life. Keep in mind your personality and your particular circumstances. Um, if you're preparing to run a marathon, it's probably not a great idea that you decide to, to choose fasting for 40 days and nights as your particular practice. If you're a mother with young children or an infant, you're probably not going to choose long hours of prayer in the morning. Unless, of course, it's just prayers of desperation. <laughs> Consider your, your life situation. Um, you're going to have a set of practices, whether you intend to have them or not, you will. You're going to live a life. Do your practices actually support or sabotage your friendship with Jesus? Second, when you're thinking about your set of spiritual practices, the most common mistake to make is to do way too much all at one time and then feel like you're overloaded and uh, it feels too heavy and then you just quit and you stop. James Bryan Smith says something really wise. He says that for your rhythm or your rule of life, it's best to maybe pick three practices. One practice that lifts you up to God, another practice that nourishes you. Uh, for me, that's going for a walk uh, by myself, uh, being out in nature. That's something for me. For you, it might be going for a run or reading a novel or listening to, to beautiful music or something like that. Even if the activity, by the way, doesn't seem that spiritual or religious even, if over time you find that it gives you life, I'll, I'll just say this, I, I believe it's spiritual. And then third, one that leads you to others in connection or service. One that leads you outward in, in connection or service with others. Wise counsel. Keep it simple. And then finally, seek to do at least one of your spiritual practices or exercises with someone else. Maybe a friend or a family member. It's interesting. When it comes to physical exercise, the number one indicator as to whether you'll continue in your routine is whether you have friends who are encouraging you along the way. Ken Shikamatsu, he talks about how at the University of Pittsburgh, they have a weight loss intervention program that requires everyone that enrolls to sign up with a family member or a friend. And, and part of that, the program involves friends and family members getting together for meals, calling each other. And here's the thing. After a 10-month follow-up, an impressive 66% of the people who enrolled with a friend or a family member maintained their weight loss compared to only 24% of a group who enrolled in a program without a friend or a family member. If you want to get in better shape physically, the best shot you have at, have at doing it is actually doing it with somebody, with a friend or a family member. The same goes in terms of our spiritual lives, in terms of, in terms of doing spiritual exercises. The best shot you have of growing toward godliness is to have a friend or two praying for you and, and walking with you through it. And that's, that's what we were emphasizing last week if you were here. We, we really want to become uh, an Acts 2 church here at Hillside, and, and we believe one of the core pieces of that is that we would become the kind of people 
that are serious about authentic relationships. Because I, I, I'm convinced, this is the thing I've been feeling more and more lately, that I'm convinced that as we get to know one another and share real life and have Jesus in the mix of that, that we're going to grow. That we're going to learn what it means to be a disciple. That we're going to learn what it means to reach out to our neighborhood. But I, I, We're going to learn what it means to pray. But I, I really believe this is kind of a central piece of it. And we want to keep on um, emphasizing that in the months to come. We're looking at, at different ways of, of organizing that. Right now, uh, one of the ways is, is being part of a small group. And uh, it's kind of exciting, actually. Angel's been organizing, trying to respond to your, your responses to, to joining this, these groups this fall. We have, I think, seven new groups starting this fall. Seven new groups. It's really awesome. It's been really chaotic. If you haven't gotten a call from a group leader, it's because it's been a little bit of a chaos to manage, but they're meant to kind of start this week. And I'm just saying, join in with the chaos. If you haven't already signed up and said, hey, I'm, I, I'm in, um, go back and, and get a book and talk to Angel, and she'll do her best to get you know, a group in the next week or two. But we're, uh, we're working on that, and I think it's going to be a great thing as part of our, our church. One thing you didn't see in the movie the clip I showed, I mean, you saw a piece of it maybe, but Rocky wasn't training alone. He had people around him, cheering him on, helping him run, pushing him, and, uh, and you need that too. You won't do it on your own. You won't make it. You won't see the results you want to see. So let's, let's train together, shall we? Um, let's learn together what Paul means, that Paul means when he says, train yourself to be godly, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to invite the team up. We're going to sing uh, just a couple verses of that song. But uh, let's pray. Thank you, uh, Lord Jesus, that you came and with a plan and a desire to save people from their sin and to make them right with God and that we can be born again, we can be filled with your spirit and have a brand new start. And then you invite us, Lord, into this life of training, of pursuing and, and, and walking out what it means to be godly. And you said it has great value. And, and Lord, you've placed in, in many of us that desire. That desire is there. We want to to walk this out. I pray in the next, uh, this fall, we would, we would commit this to you. We'd invite you, Lord, to lead us by your Holy Spirit that we might grow and be different. We might be like that guy Craig in the airport where when adversity comes, we will be able to handle it with, with grace because of your power that is changing us from the inside out. Would you do, us, do that in our midst, Lord? Train us here at Hillside Community Church. To be godly, we pray. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.